1: Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are just over one month away from the start of the 2022 draft. It's crazy how time flies, but we're in super regionals now. Uh, the high school seasons are largely over. The draft combine is about to get started. The Cape Cod League is underway. We are officially in the home stretch here and here to talk about everything that's happening, everything still to happen between now and draft day. We're joined by Carlos Colazo, uh, lead draft writer here for us at Baseball America. Carlos. You know this as well as anyone. A draft class is kind of an ever-changing organism. Uh, A lot of guys who seem like they're going to be the top of the class at the beginning of the year, a lot of times rarely are by the time we get to draft day. A lot of guys move up, a lot of guys move down. The strengths of the class can shift. And just really everything we think we know in February is often very, very different by the time the draft (laughs) actually rolls around. Coming into the year, this draft class was seen as, you know, Really, really strong bats, uh, light-ish on pitching, and then a bunch of pitching injuries happened. Overall, here as we sit a month out from the draft, what is the overall assessment of this draft class now? First and foremost, just how strong or weak is it compared to previous year's Mm -hmm. draft classes?
2: Yeah. Entering the year, we pulled scouting directors and the the sense from the industry at that point was that it was an above average draft class. I think at this point, most people would probably say it's an average-ish draft class. And I think that, that opinion would fluctuate a little below average or a little above average, maybe depending on where you're picking in the draft or, or if you value top end impact when evaluating the draft class, or if you're more concerned with depth. Um, I, I think the pitching on the college side, particularly like you mentioned, has really uh, gone downhill. There were a lot of pitchers who were intriguing with with really exciting stuff, um, but this class as a whole, I think, entered this draft cycle very light on innings, very light on starting pitchers with track record, uh, and a lot of those pitchers who, who needed to kind of establish some of that track record never got the opportunity with, with injuries, um, and then you have guys like Kamar Rocker and Carson Wisenhunt, uh, who were big wild cards throughout the spring, who didn't pitch at all in college but are now throwing uh in the independent league for kamar rocker and then uh in the cape cod league for carson wisenhunt both of those guys um, could make things a little bit more interesting but this this really is one of the weakest college pitching classes that we've had in years and i think for that reason the the class has taken a bit of hit but i do think it's a strong class on hitters overall and if you like hitting at the top of the draft there's a lot to be excited about
1: yeah we'll dive into just how much it does skew toward position players what are the demographic strengths? Is it more high school bats, college bats? Because there are both in this class, but it does seem like it's the high school hitters who have really stood out, especially when you look at the top half of the first round.
2: Yeah, I think if if you're looking at upside, you're going to go to that high school hitting demographic in in, in any year. And this year in particular, there are four really impressive high school hitters at the top of the draft class. And it's really a an intriguing mix of profiles depending on what you like, what you're excited about. If you want just nothing but upside and, and crazy tools, there's Elijah Green, who's just a physical freak. If you want a really polished and advanced hitter, there's Tamar Johnson, who is one of the better amateur hitters that we've seen in years. And if maybe you want a blend of both, um, why not a Drew Jones or a Jackson Holiday, who are two up the middle types, really athletic, who have had really strong springs. I think um, if you like upside, that high school group is very strong. I think on the college side, you've got a lot of bats that you can feel comfortable with. There are not a lot of up the middle locks in that col- that top tier of college hitters. Um, but I think if you look at all of those hitters track records in power conferences, for the most part, um, what they've done in terms of average, in terms of home run production, in terms of on-base percentage and plate discipline, there are a lot of bats that I feel like you can feel really safe about. And, and for many teams who are picking in the draft what they what they really want and really value highly, uh, is an impact bat that you can feel comfortable with. You, you feel like you're definitely getting a big league uh, player of some capacity with your first pick, and from then on out, maybe you have a little bit more flexibility to uh, take take bigger swings and, and search for upside later. But I think there's a really good mix, and and like you were saying, it's a, it's super heavy on the hitting side. Um, I don't know if you wanted to go into the other demographics or drill into uh, the hitters, but, um, yeah, there, there's a lot to like, especially the top ten.
1: Yeah, I remember a scouting director uh, talking about a, a story I was doing a few years ago. It was in the context of, of pitchers, but you know he made the comment that your best chance to get an everyday position player is up top. And this that's where you want to go get your bats. The pitchers, the margins are a little bit thinner moving down the draft than they are hitters. And a lot of cases, teams want to do that anyway. Take the bats up top and the pitchers a little bit later. And with the way this class has played out. Uh, It's going to be that way a lot at the top of the draft, especially in the first round. It'll be really interesting to see just how heavy it skews, but it's going to be pretty heavy. Carlos, all those hitters we've talked about, you mentioned him, uh, Drew Jones is really the consensus number one prospect in this class and and has been for a few months now. I think coming into the year, you had a couple people saying it might be Drew Jones, might be Tamar Johnson, might be Elijah Green, but really I would say over the last two months or so, um, it's been pretty consistent that Drew Jones has separated himself and is the consensus number one prospect in this draft class? Son of Andrew Jones, the Braves' great center fielder, and uh, he's got bloodlines, he's got great instincts, he's got power. Uh, there's a lot of belief hit for average. The defense is excellent, as you'd expect from the son of Andrew Jones. There's just a lot of things to like. How large is the gap between him and the rest of this draft class? Because, again, he's a consensus number one, but some years you have a consensus number one who's head and shoulders above everyone else, and sometimes it's a consensus number one, but the other guys aren't too far behind.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's probably more of the latter. He's certainly more of a consensus number 1 player than we had last year when when Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer were the top guys and we were really struggling. I remember in every every meeting and every update we had, we we spent a lot of time trying to figure out who was number 1 because there were several players who had really good cases. Uh, this year, it's been a lot easier because for the most part, like you said, it, it's kind of been consensus Drew Jones. I mean, he's he's our preseason um, number one prospect in the class uh, when we first combined our high school and college lists. And he's been in that spot throughout um, every update that we've done. Last summer, we had Tamar Johnson. We had Elijah Green up there at, at various points. Um, but I think that just given his – you kind of ran down his skills and his tools – What separates Drew from these other guys in my mind is is he's got the perfect combination of current skills, um, secondary tools, upside potential projection with the frame at a premium position. If if you look at all of those categories, there aren't a ton of players in this class who are going to check off every box. Um, And I think Drew, for the most part, you have the, the best feeling of safety and upside with him just because he is such a good pure hitter. He does have that power projection. He is one of the better defensive center fielders we've seen in years and projects to be double plus at that position. He, he's got a frame where you can see him adding a lot more strength. There's just not a, a very obvious hole um, to find in his game. I think Adley Rutschman in the 2019 class was probably more of a, there's a gap here between Adley um, and the next best player. Um, than then this class, I think the, the group behind him is pretty close. Um, but certainly, um, he is the consensus top player, um, according to the industry at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reviews have just been very, very impressive uh, above average hitter, 30 home runs and gold glove defense and center field is what a lot of people think he's capable of. And even if the bat is more average ish, it's 25 homers, still a really, really, really good player that a lot of teams would love to have six, three power speed, great defender, big league bloodlines. I mean you start checking the boxes. And I like how you kind of put that because that was sort of my impressions as well, just speaking to executives around the game, is this isn't a case of, you know, like you said, Adley Rutschman. And even, I know you and I had some differences uh, with Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin, but the feedback I was yeah, getting I'll take
2: year, I'll take the L on that one. Uh, um, <laughs> no, you, were certainly, you certainly were right. <laughs> yeah,
1: but just the, the feedback I was getting there at the time was, you know, Torkelson had really had separated himself even mm-hmm. in a shortened season. And I yeah. would say it seems like the Drew Jones separation isn't as big as those two, the Reggie Torkelson gap, but it's certainly bigger than the last year when it was in a lot of cases, a toss up, Mm -hmm. which kind of leads us to the next question. I think what everyone wants to know is, okay, this is the number one player in the draft class. It's consensus. Uh, We've talked about it kind of checks all the boxes you want to see. Does that mean the Orioles actually take him with the first overall pick? Uh, We've seen the Mm -hmm. Orioles like to go under slot with a lot of high picks. However, They did go with the best player in the draft in the aforementioned 2019 class, when it was Adley Rutschman, head and shoulders above everyone else. What are the chances the Orioles actually take Drew Jones first overall?
2: Yeah, I think I wrote about this in, in the last mock draft that we published last week, Mock Draft 4.0, and and it's really tough to to ever feel confident in what the Orioles are doing because they keep things so open. They're not afraid to go off the board and underslot a player. Uh, it seems like they still have a pretty wide pool of players they're deciding between. Um, I would be surprised if we got a lot of confidence and clarity in the direction the Orioles were going before they picked because it seems like every year where they're picking up top, they are kind of the big question mark when we're doing our mock drafts and they're they're very hard to decipher the interesting question for me is while we do have drew jones as a consensus top player and like you mentioned in 2019 when they were picking one one they took that player they've also been really college heavy when they've been picking up top in the draft since they've been in the top five picks these last three or four years i'm curious if that's an area they would be fine with taking drew jones if if they're just like okay this is the best player we, we don't care um, whether it's college or high school, he's the best friend on our board. We're just going to take him uh, because they are getting closer to this rebuild, kind of uh, getting out of that rebuild phase with Adley like Rutschman being in the big leagues and some of their hitters trending in the right direction. Some of their, their top prospects moving to that big league level. Do you feel compelled to take a player who's going to, to move quickly? And maybe you want to go to the college demographic. Maybe you think that maybe you think the gap between drew and whoever's second or third or fourth on your board is close enough um that it still makes sense to to hunt the best bargain if you feel like you'll take a slight discount in overall player talent but you're getting a uh, a much better signing bonus and you f- you feel like the overall package of players you can get with that haircut at one i mean th- it would never surprise me if the orioles do that so i guess the long answer is i don't know which direction they're heading i I don't know if they have solidified who who they're picking at this point i would be very surprised if a month out they had kind of solidified that but all of these players in this range make sense for them. Maybe outside of a of, of Kevin Parada, who's the top catcher in the class, uh, just based on how teams seem to operate when they do have uh, elite catching prospects and players like Adley Rutschman. But a Brooks Lee would make sense to me. I think Jackson Holiday and Tamar Johnson make sense to me um, at that spot. Like nothing would surprise me when it comes to Baltimore. <laughs> it would be great if we got some clarity, but again, I, I don't really expect that to happen until they're picking.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And just talking to other executives around the game, including some who generally have a, a track record of, of being right and sniffing things out, um, there was a lot of discussion about the Orioles were locking in on, on Jacob Berry at Louisiana State as the guy that maybe they would take number one and go under slot with, that, that he was a the guy they were targeting heavily. And then he got hurt, and that sort of threw things into disarray a little bit. And the name that keeps being tied to them from people I trust is actually Jackson Holiday, who we'll talk about here in a second, Uh, Michael Elias uh, flew in to see him and stayed for very extended looks on holiday much more so than you would normally expect from someone of uh, Michael Elias's stature Um, he's someone that a lot of people in the industry think the Orioles you know if the draft were held today he might be the pick Um, but they've also cautioned to say they have done the work and all the big guys have flown in and and done the work to see Drew Jones, Brooks Lee, uh, Tamar Johnson had a workout with them we've heard Elijah Green is still in play so it's certainly no, not a slam dunk, but but I do think it's interesting how Jackson Holliday's name keeps coming up to me in regards to the Orioles. Um, but again, a lot can and will change in a month. There's bonus discussions to be had, and, and there's a lot of things that are still in play here. Um, that's what I've kind of got my eye on to see if that ends up being their pick and if they go high school, but, but they go different high school. And, and Carlos, that kind of feeds into the next discussion. I think one of the more interesting things that – um, I've seen just in terms of the feedback we've been getting as we've been putting together the top 300, um, you've been reaching out to scouting directors and special assistants I have as well. For a long time, I would say two, three months, You know, Drew Jones, as we've talked about, was this consensus number one prospect. Then after him, you had this group of, of five players that were seen as kind of interchangeable. Uh, Brooks Lee, the shortstop at Cal Poly, who you mentioned, Jackson Holiday, uh, the shortstop out of Oklahoma, Matt Holiday, son, who we've talked about uh, Tamar Johnson and Elijah green, uh, two other prep standouts and Kevin the catcher at Georgia tech. Those five were all kind of seen as the next five and the order just depended on which evaluator you were talking to personal preference. But over the last three, four weeks or so, we started to see a little bit of separation and actually have kind of a clear cut number two and three in the class. Um, Brooks Lee has sort of become that clear cut number two player in the class. And Holiday, who's just been racing up all year, has really become the clear cut number three. I was actually surprised to see how consensus it was in the course of gaining feedback from the industry that, yeah, least two, Holiday's three. They've leapt, or I shouldn't say leapt, they've really pushed away from that Johnson Green Parada group.
2: Yeah, we d- we definitely got a lot of feedback that, that that needed to be the one, two, three. And I think it gave us confidence in that order. But I think I view that leap, basically all the players you mentioned, as the second tier of players. Uh, and I think if you talk to enough people, you will find different orders for these players. There are still teams out there who are very high on a Termar Johnson. And if you polled uh, the industry, it wouldn't shock me if, if Tamar was in that number two spot. It wouldn't surprise me if there are teams who are just so – infatuated with Elijah Green's physicality and tool set and upside uh, if he was in that maybe number two spot for certain teams but I think largely we did get a lot of feedback that said hey Brooksley just the confidence that you have in his hitting ability what he's done at Cal Poly um, being a college infielder with with really maybe the most confidence of any hit tool in this class um, just given that he's done it in college I think you could argue that our Tamar Johnson is maybe the best pure hitter in the class because he, he is one of the more special high school hitters that we have seen in a long time. Um, just the fact that he hasn't done it in college, I could see some teams saying, you know, we'll take the guy who's proven it at the college level. Um, so really, uh, it's hard for me to separate this group of players after Drew Jones. I, I felt good that we were getting the feedback that Brooks Lee and Jackson holiday was kind of warrior one, two, 3. We got a lot of, of people who really expect Jackson holiday to go off the board quickly. And I think it makes sense. Why? I mean, he had a fantastic year in Oklahoma. He's not playing the best competition, but he did everything that scouts wanted to see from him entering the year. He's got above average or better tools across the board. Um, he's got major league bloodlines, like a, a number of these players in this 2022 class uh, as the son of Matt holiday. Teams feel good about that. He's a really good pure hitter. He's got a body that just screams projection. He's already got stronger. He's got faster. He's hitting for power more naturally this spring than he did last summer. Um, and he's a ch- he's got a chance to stick at shortstop and be a good defender there. I think one of the other things about this draft class, especially in contrast to 2021, there are not a lot of locked-in, no-doubt shortstops at the top of this class. We had four last year that you feel really good about at the high school level. This year – Three, We have three shortstops in the top 15, four, excuse me, if you include Cole Young. Um, Of the three in the top 10, two of those I feel like are safe projections to move off the position and play third base or second base in Brooks Lee and Tamar Tamar Johnson. So if you really like that premium high school shortstop profile or just the shortstop profile in general, and you're picking up high, Jackson Holliday is the only guy where you're getting that from. So I think that helps as well in addition to his upside uh, his improved tools this spring and just his performance.
1: Yeah. He's a guy that really for the past couple of months was one of those things. Every time I talked to someone who was, Hey, move holiday up, he belongs in that top tier with, with Johnson and green. Cause entering the year, he was seen as kind
2: of low below them.
1: And yeah. Then- holiday
2: his, 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 basically this entire draft cycle, it's, it's really fun to follow it the whole time because last summer he got a little bit out of himself. He was swinging and looking to do damage. So there was a little bit more swing and miss, um, but I felt like the whole summer scouts were pointing at Jackson and being like, Hey, this is a guy, look at his frame. He looks like a baby still. Like he's got a ton of strength to add. He's going to go through a growth spurt when he does watch out. He could rocket up draft boards. I heard that from basically every scout conversation. It seemed like that I had with him and we had him at either at the back of the first round or behind the first round entering the year. Um, and then very quickly those strength gains became apparent and he moved up boards. So it's it's funny it's not funny Kyle it, it just consistent when you talk to these scouts they really know what they're doing uh, and everything pretty much panned out exactly how they said it was going to
1: yeah he's been great and, and then with Brooks Lee one of the things I, I enjoyed a uh, conversation I've had a couple times is if you like him he's a 70 hitter if you don't like him he's a 60 hitter like like there's no doubt that this guy's going to hit and hit yeah. a lot for average The um, left-handed swing is probably the best swing in the country college or high school I, I don't have a lot of hesitation saying that um you know the right-handed swing his quote-unquote bad swing is still like significantly better than 95 percent of the swings in the college class mm-hmm. um you know just fantastic hitter great instincts for the game son of a college coach who was renowned for uh, his ability to uh, coach hitting in particular and larry lee so um yeah i mean these three are all talented players and again it's all there's some bloodlines here we talk about drew jones and, and jackson holiday being the sons of multiple time all-stars and Brooks Lee's bloodlines are a little different, but uh, his uncle was a first-round pick, and again, his dad's a former player and longtime college coach, who again is just renowned as a hitting instructor. So, yeah. all these guys they've received high-level instruction from people who know what they're doing and, and have some pretty you know exciting. Uh, we say tools, but it's really it's it's ability. It's not like these guys are all just super raw and you're projecting. A yeah, million things. I, I really it, say it's none ability. of the
2: guys. None of the guys we've talked about are super raw. Even even in Elijah Green, who will get criticized for swing and miss. I wouldn't consider him a raw hitter by any means. He'll make adjustments. He hits for power in game. Um, I think with him, you're just talking about the swing and miss is just going to be a little bit more a part of his offensive game than a Tamar Johnson or Brooksley or a Drew Jones. But yeah, none of these guys um, have rawness to their game. And that's probably why they're uh, the top six on our draft board right now.
1: And with that, we've talked about that. They're kind of the clear cut top six. Really? There's a clear cut top seven, Jacob Berry, who we mentioned at Louisiana state who, a lot of people were connecting to the Orioles as a potential underslot pick at number one. Um, that, that really is considered the, the clear cut top seven that came back, you know, again and again and again for, for a while now from high level evaluators. After that, one of the things that's come up and you talked about this a little earlier where it depends on how you view drafts, whether it's top level talent or depth that makes a draft quote unquote great one of the things that's come up is once you get outside that top seven, it's a little more of a scramble, and then things thin out a little bit at the back of the first round. You start searching for guys to pick there. How thin are the margins after this top seven in terms of, of the talent? You know, How interchangeable are some of these rankings? How close are these guys?
2: Yeah, I think it thins out pretty quickly. There are, there are a couple college hitters outside of this range who I feel like I've just done enough um, that they're probably going to be going in the top half of the first. Guys like Gavin Cross, guys like Jace Young, guys like Daniel Susack. Like, there are more split opinions on them, particularly with a guy like Susack. He's gotten more split industry feedback um, than you would get for, for all the guys who we mentioned first. I think there's a, there are a couple of high upside high school pitchers who are in this, this range, uh, like a Brock Porter and a Dylan Lesko. Uh, and go if he was healthy, we'd probably have already talked about him as a, a guy who was pitching himself into top five consideration. I think he would have been in that, that top tier if he hadn't had Tommy John surgery. Um, then you have your big... High school hitting risers, uh, the Jet Williams of the world, Justin Crawford, Cole Young has gotten really good feedback. Um, All these guys are up-the-middle athletes who have some tools, have some speed, have some power projection. Or in the case of Cole Young, um, just really polished all-around game while profiling up the middle. I think those are the guys who um, maybe have a a slight bit of separation, but really once you get into this tier of players – I feel like it's it's pretty flat in terms of separation. I've I've had conversations with multiple scouts who are like, yeah, once you get into the middle of the first round or, or far right outside of that top ten grouping, the board could go just in wildly different directions. I think maybe this is the this might be more the case um, every year than people admit, just because teams' boards vary so wildly um, pretty quickly. I think that's especially true this year because there are no clear-cut obvious college pitchers who, who you just know are going uh, in the 10 to 20 range or you know are going to go top 15 when you don't have players like that um, I think f- things can get a little bit dicey a little a little quicker than maybe you would in a typical year the boards are just going to open up and it'll depend on uh, bonus demands it'll depend on different philosophies are you a team that is happy or fine going with a high school pitcher in the first round there are a lot of teams who really don't want to do that particularly if you uh, maybe have fewer picks because of um, free agent signings or if you don't have the biggest pool amount maybe you you just don't want to dive into those riskier waters that soon and if that's the case you're either looking at a second tier hitter who maybe you have a little more uh, a few more questions about or you're trying to um, decipher this college pitching class and figure out uh, are you happy taking a guy who doesn't have a ton of innings under his belt and maybe has some injury questions. Are you fine taking a guy who in an average college pitching class might be more of a supplemental first or second round talent in the first round? So I think the the boards are going to fly open uh, pretty quickly in this draft. um, And it'll be interesting to see how it's lined up after the fact as it always is. But I really think from maybe the 15 to 20 range on our board down into the forties and fifties, there's not a ton of separation uh, in my mind. And I think that, uh, there will be a lot of teams who have those players in vastly different orders. So, with
1: that, you kind of hit on this a little bit the lack of college pitching. Where does Kamar Rocker fit into this discussion? As we all know, Rocker was a star at Vanderbilt, a consensus top 10 talent. Last year's draft was picked by the Mets 10th overall. A lot of people thought that was an absolute steal at the 10th overall pick. A lot of people thought he was worthy of a pick in the top five, top seven. Did not sign. Um, A lot was said about his medical and the Mets weren't comfortable with it. His uh, representatives came back and said he's perfectly healthy and it just became a Whole big fiasco. Um, He didn't pitch this year uh, for most of the year, and it was always kind of funny checking in with uh, various evaluators. You know, hey, what's up to Kumar Rocker? It's like, I don't know. You tell me. No one knows what he's doing. No one's seen him. He finally reemerged. He's pitching for the Tri-City Valley Cats in a partner league, formerly uh, the Independent Leagues, and came out. uh, Our Jeff Ponce was there for his first outing uh, earlier this month on June 4th and came out, looked really, really good. Fastball sat 95-97 early, showed a slider and cutter in the mid-80s, some change-ups he threw a solid arm speed, threw strikes. I mean, everything looked good. Everything looked like the Kamar Rocker, who was a top-10 draft pick at this time last year, Where does he fit this discussion?
2: Uh, Yeah, he's been a massive wild card, but coming out and showing the same stuff that that he showed last year with Vanderbilt, I think was a great start for him. Um, In a lot of ways, I think it's, it's really hard to say with any clarity where Kamar Rocker fits because I think so much of the decision on Rocker is going to be up to team doctors and what really is on that medical. The Mets clearly... Liked rocker. They took him in the 10th pick, but I think, like you said, he was going to get signing bonus money that fits more in that top six, top seven range. Um, they found something that they clearly didn't like and were willing to um, not sign him and take the common pick for this year. Uh, how other teams view that medical uh, is completely up in the air and obviously not having that information and not being a doctor. It's, it's impossible for me to say with any kind of confidence um, how, how that's going to be handled. I think from a scouting perspective, you have to feel good about everything that he's done and the stuff that he's shown this year and in, in a few shorter outings so far. I mean, if you, if you compare Kamar Rocker's pure stuff, his performance in college, his physicality, there's no one in this class that matches him uh, on the college side, not even close his, the number of innings and the performance that he had at Vanderbilt. Um, he was one of the most famous players in college for a reason, Uh, He has top-end elite stuff with arguably the best breaking ball in the class, and it was a double-plus pitch in his first outing back. Um, There really is not a a college player that you could point to in this class with any confidence and say, yeah, this guy is clearly better than Kamar, and he's he's clearly proven it. That that pitcher just doesn't exist this year. Uh, And so for, for those reasons, I think there's a chance he's still the first college equivalent arm that goes off the board. Uh, how teams handle the medical really is going to make this one tricky up until we find out where he's picked, because like you said, he has been healthy. He has been throwing Um, whatever was found was was some sort of asymptomatic issue that the Mets were clearly um, scared to commit that amount of money to him for whatever reason. So we'll see how, how teams operate and how they deal with it. I'm sure there are going to be teams who are just more risk averse, who won't want to touch it. Um, But if you want college pitching or, or fast-moving arms in this class, I should say, as he's not a college pitcher anymore. I mean, Kamar Rocker looks as good as anyone and better than most.
1: Yeah, you know, between Rocker's return and an East Carolina left-hander, Carson Wisenhunt, who is also expected to be one of the top pitchers in this year's class, he was uh, ruled ineligible by the NCAA after he failed a performance-enhancing drug test. He did not pitch this year. How does having Rocker back on the mound and then Wisenhunt came back and made his first start in the Cape Cod League last night? Uh, Jeff was also there, and I believe we have a up on that at Baseball America today as well. How does the return of Rocker and Wisenhunt to the mound here over the last 10 plus days kind of change the college
2: pitching class? gives it some hope. I mean, the, the industry has been dying for college pitching in this class. I mean, Gabriel Hughes was a guy who was trending towards the first college pitcher off the board. He didn't have the greatest outing uh, in regionals. So it's a question of where he goes. I think Cooper Jerpy is another really impressive performer this year, left handed pitcher for Oregon state, who has a chance to be the first college pitcher off the board, but all of these types there, I think there's some hesitance with the industry of saying like, yeah, he's the first college pitcher and, and being excited about that. Um, with Carson Wisenhund, I think he was a guy who, similar to Rocker, he, he entered this year with first-round talent um, and not pitching, obviously, through a huge wrench into that. He wasn't as polished or as crisp as Kamar was relative to his like baseline of performance that we saw in 2021. And I think Carson Wisenhund isn't isn't the type of pitcher that Rocker is in, in the sense that he's got just a ton of upside. I think Wisenhund's profile was more of that safe college-starting left-hander that we typically have uh, in every draft class and goes somewhere in the middle of the first round, first round, like, like maybe a Jordan Wicks. I think like Wicks, he has an outstanding changeup. It was one of the best changeups in the college class, a high usage pitch that he showed a lot of confidence in. He's more of a low nineties, um, pitcher from the left side with a, a solid, but not spectacular breaking ball. Um, if he's able to kind of shake off the rust and, and just show the stuff that he showed in 2021, um, he certainly has a chance to go in the middle of the first round. I would imagine, I don't think teams are going to bang him as much as they maybe will bang uh, a guy who's coming off an elbow injury or a shoulder injury. Um, And his track record as a starter is quite strong. So if he continues to sharpen up his stuff in the Cape, um, he's going to be seen by a lot of people. He's going to be competing against really impressive hitters. So he's got a chance to um, give some more top end life to this college pitching class.
1: Yeah, this is a prime example of what we mean when we say a lot can and will change between now and draft day. We're still more than a month away. If Rocker and Wizenhunt continue to show well in their current settings, again, where it looks like they're going to go today versus where they actually go on draft day is going to be very, very, very different. All right, Carlos, uh, we've talked about a lot about this draft class already. We've got a lot more to talk about, including a mock draft we're going to finish up with, one of the more enjoyable things I always enjoy doing with you every year. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. All right, we are back. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Carlos Calazzo, breaking down the 2022 draft class. All right, Carlos, we've talked about this a lot uh, in the first half of this podcast, but just to illustrate how position player heavy this draft class is here on June 13th, just over a month before the start of the draft, 16 of the top 18 prospects on the BA draft rankings are position players. Again, it just goes to show how... Strong the bats are in this class, but also how weak the pitching is. And the two pitchers that are in the top 18 are both high school pitchers, one of whom is hurt, Dylan Lesko. So there's a whole nother component <laughs> yeah. to that one as well. Um, I I want to talk about some of these hitters who have kind of risen and and made this such a position player heavy class. Again, we talked about that top group of Drew Jones, Brooks Lee, Tamar Johnson, Elijah Green, and and even some of the college bats, Parada, Barry, Jace Young at Texas Tech. I mean, those guys have been known for a while. They've been been top guys for a while, but there's a lot Mm -hmm. of bats even behind them that have just upped their stock throughout this year. I want to hit on a, a trio of high school hitters who, again, as we just, Did all the feedback and really sourced it with with scouting directors and high-level decision makers across the country. Kept coming back as move them up, move them up, move them up. Uh, And that's Cole Young out of Pennsylvania, Jet Williams out of Texas, and Justin Crawford out of Nevada, uh, another son of of a longtime standout big leaguer. He's Carl Crawford's son. You know, these three guys, again, they were definitely known. They were all kind of in that call 20 to 40 range, 25 to 50 range of the draft class for a lot of the year. Um, but as we move here to the end of the high school season across the country in most places, there's a real sense now that all three of these guys are, are going to go in the teens. They've kind of moved into that 10 to 20 group. What do you make of these three high school hitters and, and what's been behind their rises?
2: Yeah, like you said, they're they're not nobodies. We had them all as top fifty prospects entering the year, but they've certainly all had really strong springs to move themselves up into really uh it seems like unanimous first round talent range, whereas previously it was is more like top two for all of these guys. I think Cole Young was maybe the the highest ranked player that we had in this range, but Justin Crawford, just to touch on him first, um, really projectable framed outfielder from Nevada, one of the faster runners in the class, at least a double-plus runner now. Um, he's a guy who showed really impressive bat-to-ball skills, and he's consistently added strength to his frame. I think similar to Jackson Holiday, he was a player who scouts ID'd very early on, and they said, watch out. When he adds some strength to this frame, um, when the power starts to come a little bit more, the tools are going to jump and his foundation of baseball skills are just going to take off once that happens. And that's and that's what's happened so far. He still has a lot of physical projection remaining. I think it would be a safe bet to stick in center field with that speed, those defensive instincts that you would imagine he has um, given his bloodlines as well, similar to a Drew Jones. Um, so he just had a very good year in that in that sense. Um, been a good performer. I, I think the swing is probably better than he might get credit for because people are going to be so excited about the speed in the body. Um, the bat to ball skills are, are pretty natural and pretty instinctual. Jet Williams is a guy who is maybe the complete opposite in terms of body type. He is where where Justin Crawford is 6'3, 175 pounds. Uh, Jet Williams is 570, and he might be a similar weight at this point. We have him listed at 160, but he's significantly stronger than that now after adding a lot of strength. Um, he just has very twitchy, strong hands. He was one of the better performers at the area code games last year. Turns around velocity, a lot more pop than than you would have imagined just looking at the frame, and he's got a lot stronger this spring. Just a consistent performer, a consistent hitter. Feels like he tracks the ball well, handles velocity, handles spin Uh, And he's got a chance to play up the middle, could be shortstop, could be second base, could be outfield, but it should be an up the middle defensive position where he's going to add value. Um, I love the swing. It's one of my favorite swings in the class, just on a personal standpoint. And it sounds like as he just kind of continued to hit, people have been like, well, he's short. Who cares? He's strong. He's got tools. We have a lot of short hitters who have done really well in the big leagues. And, and by the way, Tamar Johnson is a similar height and no one seems to be too worried about his height. Um, Cole Young is maybe the least toolsy of all of these players, but he might be the most polished um, just in, in terms of his overall game. He's always shown a fantastic approach at the plate. Um, his barrel is in the zone for a long time. He uses the entire field really naturally. Um, he plays shortstop at, at a high level. Um, considering maybe he's not the twitchiest or the fastest guy. He makes every play, plays really low, has good instincts defensively, um, throws the ball across the diamond well. For, for I think, the entirety of the spring, I've thought of Cole Young as a left-handed hitting Anthony Volpe. At the same time, I remember Volpe was not the toolsiest guy. He wasn't the fastest guy, but everyone really loved his instincts, his bat-to-ball skills. Um, and if Cole Young is able to, to make a, a tools jump like Volpe did in pro ball, you have to really love – Everything that's in his his arsenal and his skill set as a baseball player, I feel like you just have a lot of confidence in him. There's no real obvious hole um, you can point to in his game. He just, he just does everything at such a high level. Um, so those guys have all been really impressive. And like you said, should be going somewhere in the middle of the first round um, as we sit here today.
1: Yeah, Young uh, is a Pennsylvania guy, and and there's definitely been you know a couple people who have seen the Pirates really, really going in to look at him. You know, maybe it's a hometown underslot type of deal. You know, we don't know, but he has a chance to to go pretty good in this draft. And uh, Justin Crawford, uh, just to kind of you know touch on what you said there, it's been really interesting just watching his rise because. You're right. I mean, I saw him a um, few years ago. I believe he was entering his junior year and you saw the advanced hand-eye coordination. You saw the speed, you saw the athleticism, you saw not just athleticism in center field, but, but good instincts. I mean, good first steps, good reads off the bat. Um, you talked to him. He's a smart kid. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's physical ability. Do you see the makeup there? Again, his dad was a, a, very, very good player for a long time. He can hit like his dad a little bit. It's, it's a similar profile, and the power's starting to come. Again, he's not going to be a thirty home run guy, but like you said, it was just he's moving in the right direction. He had some workouts where he was hitting balls out of big league stadiums, where it's like, okay, it's in there. You know, what does this look like now with another twenty pounds on it? Um, He just really, really kind of did everything you wanted to see him do this spring. And that's why he was a guy who coming in, like you said, was like, you know, top two rounds, good player, really need to see the strength. And then it became, you know, he probably goes 20 to 30. He's doing all the right things. By the end of the year, it's like he's getting scouted hard in the teens. I mean, people are going back in, circling back to get multiple looks at him. I mean, he's really, really risen up. And I'll be really curious to see how high he goes. And Carlos, the other guys who have moved up a lot, it's really been a group of five college outfielders um, that we've consistently been getting, Hey, move them up. They're rising. They're doing really well. And first and foremost among them is Drew Gilbert, the center fielder at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee was absolutely loaded this year, the number one team in the country. And in terms of draft prospects, a lot of the year, a lot of the attention was on Blake Tidwell, the right hander and Jordan Beck, their power hitting corner outfielder. But as the year went on, it just kept showing up that, Hey, Gilbert's the best guy and ultimately we reflected that in our most recent update we'll talk about Jacob Melton Dylan Beavers Brock Joseph Sterling Thompson but I really want to dial in on Drew Gilbert here you know what did he do to really assert himself as as the best draft prospect on one of the more talented college teams in recent memory
2: yeah I think there he he probably isn't the consensus top talent we have him in front of Jordan Beck now I think there are definitely some teams who, who are maybe a little bit more infatuated with Jordan Beck just physicality but I mean, to put it simply, he was the best performer on the best team in college baseball. Uh, and it turns out that might be a pretty good prospect as well. Um, he, he is a guy who I had conversations with scouts earlier in the year who, who really liked him a lot and thought they were more more of an outlier in terms of how much they liked him. And I think Gilbert has just played himself into that range for most people in the industry. Uh, he's a really good hitter uh, who had a fantastic line this spring. He was hitting close to 400 Controls the zone well, hits for power. His exit velocities are really impressive. He's another guy who's who's smaller and maybe physically maxed out. Um, so you're not going to project a ton more power in the future than what he has now, uh, but he's shown a lot of pop already. Um, I think the home run environment in college baseball is up a little bit. So it could be trickier to project home runs. And he certainly plays in a park where the ball can fly, um, but he hits for high average, controls the zone well, is an above average runner, plays center field, has really good arm strength. So Uh, Even if the power maybe is a little bit lighter than scouts are anticipating based on his production and the exit velocities he's shown with a metal bat, there are a lot of other tools to be excited about, Um, and just his overall feel for the game I think is is pretty impressive. And and we talked a lot about, or we talked a little bit about how the top college hitters in this class. They're not up the middle premium position types. Well, Drew Gilbert and a lot of these other outfitters we're going to talk about in this range do play center field. And I think that does help help the profile when you're hitting and when you're showing supplemental tools and secondary tools.
1: Yeah. I also kind of wonder if Drew Gilbert, his tools sometimes get underrated a little bit. You know, one of those guys who might not look a certain way, but when you actually kind of grade them out and and talk to a lot of values, it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. it is plus defense in center field. It's, above average to plus run times it's a plus arm i mean there's three pluses right there he controls the zone really well he's got a good swing and as you mentioned the exit velos are some of the loudest in college baseball yeah he's swinging a metal bat but so is everyone else um mm. I, I do wonder if this is a guy where i think the tools are being underrated a little bit and then you I add think, in least said, premium position it, it starts to click
2: yeah i think that definitely could have been the case earlier this spring and it just seems like everyone's kind of found come around on it and found out that all this is is legit it's real um, and hitting like he did in the sec, like I said, this is the best team in college baseball. They lost in super regionals, but I don't think anyone would tell you this wasn't the best team in college baseball. Um, and he's been the best player on the team that, that I feel like that should say a lot about his talent and his ability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, out here on the West coast, you know, three outfielders who at various points in the year that they've kind of moved up and down a little bit. Uh, There's been some streakiness to to two of them in particular, but Jacob Melton at Oregon state, uh, Dylan Beavers at Cal and Brock Jones at Stanford. This is sort of an interesting group that that's different in a lot of ways in that all three of these guys have a lot of tools, Mm -hmm. but serious swing questions. And it's, it's kind of funny because a lot of times I think you hear that more about high school outfielders. Oh, you know, he's, you know, plus runner, plus raw power, you know, plus arm, but I don't know about the swing. All three of these guys, that's, that's pretty much the deal with them. Melton is the one who has performed the best uh, Pac-12 player of the year for one of the best teams in the country, and he has sort of moved ahead. But you know, even talking to evaluators there, the kind way to describe his swing is funky. Yep. And you will find people who, who really have questions, but they're like, eh, you know, I, I still think you have to give it to them.
2: I think we wrote about his swing as unorthodox in the scatter. There (laughs) there are a lot of moving parts Uh, It's an open stance. It's a big leg kick. Uh, There's a barrel dump, a bit of an arm bar, but you know, there are a lot of hitters who do it in different ways at the big leagues. And uh, if you're on time and you're hitting the ball hard, um, whatever works, works. I mean, it's worked for him. He hits the ball hard. Um, And like you said, he's performed one of the best players in the conference. Uh, He's done well against velocity um displays power to all fields so the performance is there and yeah there might be some scouts who are just maybe a little out on him because that swing is so unorthodox but it's hard to argue with the production uh and if you show that you're on time with all those moving parts consistently against good stuff um maybe that that'll just work for you um certainly not the uh the swing that you would draw up in a lab though or or teach to to young kids learning the game but it's worked for him
1: Yeah. It's just interesting. And and you talk about Dylan Beavers, you know, that's a guy that we talk about tools. He's, he's physical, he's athletic. He has probably the easiest power in the draft class. I mean, it's an easy swing and that ball's traveling 400 plus feet to all fields with little Mm -hmm. effort. But it's, you know, again, for the people who like him and and really do like him at the back of the first round, even they acknowledge it's a complete swing overhaul. His stance, Mm -hmm. his setup, I mean, you have to blow it up and start from scratch. And, you know, that's pretty risky to take in the first round. But, you know, people see the tools and they start stacking them up against the other players they think are kind of here at the back of the first round. And they kind of want to take that shot. And then you have Brock Jones at Stanford who has outperformed Beavers. He was a football player. He's more of a true center fielder. But again, it's it's very much a f- football player look, and, and we see a lot of football players. The swing is very stiff, just they're so mm-hmm. muscled up, and, and that's the biggest thing with him. It's very, very stiff. Yeah, I mean, how do you kind of suss these guys out? Because you do get this at the back of the first rounds, guys, where you start seeing tools, but there's a question somewhere. And all three mm-hmm. of these guys, the question is kind of the most important part of the game, which is, can you make contact consistently?
2: Yep. No, I think that we probably are never going to have a consensus view on how to line these players up. I'm sure it does feel like there are a lot of college outfielders, even even outside of the names that we're talking about here, who could easily fit in the back of the first. So it's going to come down basically to the hit tool evaluation and, and how confident um, you are in, in either the natural ability to hit or the fixes that that your organization can make, Um i think of guys like cameron misner and and garrett mitchell there are a few guys who have had hit questions and have tinkered with their swings and have have needed to um, make some overhauls um, with these players none of them it doesn't feel like any of these players have gotten the the sort of hype or attention that a garrett mitchell or cameron misner did at the same time Um, but they are all college outfielders with really exciting tools in upside potential, if they are going to hit, I don't know if if those two guys give you much confidence. I was going to say th- those are so not far.
1: those are not the comps you want. Cam exactly. Misner is currently batting one eighty seven in Double A, and uh, Garrett mm-hmm. Mitchell is batting two twenty four in Double A. And I just talked to a scout who said, yeah, it's it's a twenty hitter, but he's a seventy defender in center field, so yeah. that might get him to the big leagues as a uh, as as an up
2: down guy. So so, so yeah, those, those are the some comps kind of, you want <laughs> exactly, and then maybe that's why the profiles are lower than they they than Garrett Mitchell and Cameron Misner's were. Uh, in previous years it's maybe teams are just kind of coming around on it that these these college hitters who have hit tool questions they're lower for a reason but the tools are exciting um, it, it only takes one team to really buy into the hit tool to make it happen up there um, and if they do hit if, even if they're just fringy hitters with the tool sets that all these players have you could you could really be looking at a really exciting player who impacts the game in a number of different ways I mean. Brock Jones might be one of the most athletic players in the entire class, and there are certainly teams that fall in love with that that athleticism and dream on what they could be um, rather than maybe the limitations that they have now. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys, um, how they get lined up and in what order they go. And I think maybe another player that, that you would mentioned, Kyle, that we want to talk about is Sterling Thompson at Florida. And I think he maybe is a good contrast to a lot of these players because even going back to his high school days, Sterling is a player who, who has stood out, um, for his pure hitting ability. Um, whereas all these other guys have plus secondary tools. I don't know that you, you have a single plus tool that you could put on Sterling Thompson, um, but he's above average hitter. Uh, he's got a frame where you could see him growing into more power in the future. I think that's maybe one of the bigger questions with him is how much impact is he going to grow into and show in game? Uh, because he's probably a corner outfielder. He's played some second base, but it seems like most people think he's going to be a corner outfield type. Um, he's been a really good hitter against premium velocity in the SEC, and he's seen a ton of that velocity given the conference that he's in. And entering the year, scouts raved about his hitting ability. Throughout the year, scouts are raved about his hitting ability. And going back to high school, scouts really thought he was just a really advanced hitter. So maybe of this entire group, Sterling is the guy who, who goes in front of some of these names because, like you said, the hitting is the most important part, um, and it does seem like most people feel... Um, more comfortable with, with Sterling's hitting ability, despite the, maybe the lack of upside potential or explosive secondary tools that, that he has compared to the other guys.
1: And he's young too. He's a draft eligible sophomore. He's 20, 20 years old mm-hmm. still. He'll be 21 on draft day, but but he's a young guy too. So mm-hmm. that certainly adds to the appeal a little bit there. And, and Carlos, we talk about you know, hitters rising and, and the pitching class, particularly on the college side, not being great. Uh, but there are a few guys who who do kind of keep rising. Uh, Justin Campbell at Oklahoma State is one. We also have some guys we've talked about could improve their stock in the Cape or, or at the draft combine. Carson Wisenhunt we talked about already. You know, Luis Ramirez was off to a great start at Long Beach State, went down with a shoulder injury. But he's set to pitch this summer and, and maybe someone who could also raise his stock a little bit. Campbell's kind of the biggest riser. You know, what what are you seeing out of him? and And how do you kind of assess these guys who still have a chance to rise here over this next
2: month? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Campbell is a guy who's always just shown really good pitching ability at Oklahoma State. You look at his his walk rates throughout his career, he's never walked more than three batters per nine. Um, I think at the end of the day, he's a guy who you look up and with this down college pitching class, you maybe have a lot of confidence in just the the foundation of starter traits that he has. He's a taller guy, a bigger guy. Seems to control his body pretty well. The fastball, not, nothing is really overpowering, I would say, in his pitch mix, but the fastball is in the low 90s and has really good carry. He throws from a higher higher slot and maybe a higher release point, so it's not one of those invisible fastballs that's coming at you from a crazy low angle like a Jack Lighter. Uh, but it does have good carry in the zone. Uh, he's got a solid breaking ball. He's got two breaking balls, so there's a curveball and a slider more the curveball That's his go-to breaking ball. But his, his changeup is one of the better changeups in the class. He's got a lot of confidence in that pitch, throws it for a strike a good amount of the time. So I feel like he, he doesn't maybe have the upside that, that you would typically want to see or the impact swing and miss stuff that you would like to see from a first round college pitcher. Um, but we live in an era now where teams really value that, that foundation of strike throwing that command, Um, And if you feel like he's got a good fastball and he's got a good changeup, maybe you feel a lot more confident in helping him figure out a breaking ball or or sharpen up a curveball or a slider. Teams have really good track records of doing that. Um, And you you can't really teach the strikes that he's done. He's been a solid performer this entire year. He had a few rougher outings uh, later in the year against Arkansas. Um, But you you look at the total package of of what he does on the mound, his performance in the Big 12, um, and he's a guy who you could easily see going in the back of the first round, uh, where a lot of these pitchers start to get jumbled up. And it starts to make sense to take pitchers on talent once you get into the back of the first round of this year's class, whereas if you want that demographic in the top top 20 picks or so, you're uh, maybe grasping for straws there.
1: Yeah, I remember writing him up out of high school. He was promising then. He was taken uh, by the Astros in the 18th round out of uh, Simi Valley High School out here in Southern California. And showed promise then and and looked like he fulfilled it at Oklahoma State. So he's certainly a guy that, again, a lot of people are very, very high on. Carlos, in the same vein, Who are some risers you're watching? Um, I guess I'll actually start, you know, Joe Lampe, uh, the outfielder at my alma mater, Arizona State. Someone who just kept coming back, made himself a lot of money at the Pac-12 tournament. You know, you talk about up-the-middle position players. True center fielder, uh, you know, he was in the Cape last year. He was a known guy. He he was someone that a lot of people certainly knew of. But the way he performed this year, and then especially what he did at the Pac-12 tournament in front of some very high-level decision makers, there's a real sense that, He's going to go pretty good. We jumped him up from the fourth round to the third round in the most recent update. And just talking to, to some people out there, there's a sense he might go in the second round. I mean, he was a kind of a, a slap hitter last year, came back, changed his swing, and now he's driving balls out, hitting them far. He's playing center, stealing bases. There's a lot of sense that, I mean, he could go in the second round now with, you know, 70 speed and hitting balls way out to dead center. I mean, he's starting to look pretty good. <laughs>
2: No, that's a good one. I think one of the other players who I've really been impressed with down the stretch is Peyton Graham, who is a shortstop for Oklahoma. And when you were talking about Justin Crawford uh, in terms of this projectable body and guys who have that projectable frame and sometimes you add a lot of weight and sometimes they don't. Well, Peyton Graham is certainly a guy who has not added a ton of weight. Um, super, super lean, 6'4", 185 pounds. And and despite that that leanness and how thin he is, He's hit 20 home runs this spring with 32 stolen bases. Uh, He's been on a bit of a home run binge for Oklahoma in the playoffs um, in the Super Regionals against Virginia Tech. He was really good. Uh, I think he's a guy who just, you maybe look at him and you wonder about the impact and the physicality of his game, how that's going to translate to the next level with a wood bat. I think that's the one question you could have everything else. In his game, it's really impressive. He He's extremely athletic. He's played shortstop this spring after playing third base previously at times. Um, maybe a chance to stick there, although uh, he would fit really well at third base if he has to move, if he gets um, a little bit more physical in the future. Um, good runner, good instincts defensively, and just a really good hitter. I mean, he's been a fantastic performer. Um, 336, 416, 660, as we look at it right now, with 20 homers and 32 bags. Uh, It's pretty impressive to have a a player who hits that amount of power in college, um, gets that stolen base total, and is playing shortstop. I mean, there aren't a lot of players like that. He's a bit unique just in terms of the the frame and the body and and what you're expecting him to be at the next level. But he's done everything that you want to see of him uh, this spring. And I I would imagine he's a guy who's moving up just based on his performance um, with a really strong Oklahoma team as we head towards the College World Series. Yeah.
1: Those are guys who are rising. I want to ask you, who's a guy that is going to go outside the first round, maybe well outside the first round, but you know, you think when we look back in 10, 15 years has a chance to have had a better career than a lot of guys who go ahead of him.
2: Ooh, interesting. That, that's a good one. I really wish that that jet Williams was still out of that range. Cause he was my personal cheese ball. Um, and he solidly doesn't count in this range. You know, another guy that I've really found myself liking, uh, who we had briefly, in the first round after a hot start um, with Louisiana state is Cade Doty. Um, he's played uh, multiple positions for them, uh, third base and second base. He's a guy who, who does not jump off the page in terms of tools, but I feel like the more you watch a player like him, the more you just have confidence in, in how he goes about the game. I love his approach. I love the hit tool. I think he's a guy who uses the entire field naturally has good pitch recognition. Um, going back to his high school days, he was, he was known as a pretty good hitter. So I like the pedigree of that and just the history of his hitting performances, probably not going to be the biggest power guy in the world. Early on, the power kind of spiked with him, and it was exciting, and I was hoping it was going to continue. Um, It didn't as the season progressed, but I just really feel like based on where he's probably going to go, we have him solidly in the second-round range. He could go second, third round, somewhere in there. I really have a lot of confidence in the hit tool, and because of that, he would probably be a guy that I point out and say, you know, I really like this player. Another player that I maybe point to from the high school side is left-handed pitcher, Noah Schultz uh, out of Illinois. He could wind up going to campus at Vanderbilt. It sounds like he's going to be uh, a bit of a tough sign. And he also didn't pitch a ton this spring uh, because of some sickness that he was dealing with. But I mean, he is a guy who has exceptional body control for a tall pitcher. You typically don't see that. Last summer he was in the low nineties with his fastball. Um, really good projection breaking ball. That's added power this spring. The fastball was up to 97 um, and very short stints. It, it still tapers off and is not consistently in that mid nineties range. Uh, but I just feel like as he continues to add strength, more power is going to come to his game. Um, and with the touch and feel and the body control that he has, the, the really high spin rates on that breaking ball. I think we're looking at a guy who could be a monster in a few years out of Vanderbilt. If he does get to campus, I would really love for a team to take a shot on a pitcher like this in the draft um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for upside and these high school players, despite all the risk that comes with it. And maybe you don't get, you can maybe get a little bit riskier than a high school left-handed pitcher, but a six foot nine high school left-handed pitcher. I feel like there are not a ton of those guys who've, who've really panned out. They're not a ton of super tall pitchers. Um, but man, I'm really excited about his upside potential. So those would be two, maybe a, a little, a low risk player in Doty and a high risk player in Schultz who I really like. The guy
1: who really intrigues me is Malcolm Moore, the catcher out of uh, the Sacramento area here in California. The guy can just hit. A left-handed hitter who, again, it's a beautiful swing. He's got power in there. You get a lot of Sean Casey comps, and it's easy to see why, both the body and the swing and how it works. And you look back, Sean Casey was a career 302 hitter who played a dozen years in the big leagues and hit 20-plus bombs at his peak and was a multiple-time all-star. Malcolm Moore can just hit. And it's, it's it's all there. He's going to add power. Again, it's it's consensus plus hit plus power with a chance to maybe get to 70 power if he continues to strengthen his upper body as he matures. The biggest thing with him and the reason why he's not considered a first rounder is he, he doesn't have a position. He's a catcher by trade. He will not stay there. He's going to have to go to first base. So it's tough to pick a guy, a high schooler, who you know is going to end up at first base. But... When you can hit like he can, it's not going to be a problem. He's committed to Stanford. We have to see what the bonus demands look like and, and what that all shakes out as. But anytime you have a guy that has a chance to be mm-hmm. a 280, 25-plus homer guy and maybe more, again, he's probably mm-hmm. not going to hit for as high of an average as Sean Casey, but he has a chance to hit for more power. I mean, if you hit 280 with 30 home runs in the big leagues, that's an all-star first baseman. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a real sense that Malcolm Moore has it in him to do that um, but it's because of questions about the position and, and some of the athleticism. He, he's just a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of teams see him more in that that late second, maybe even second round compensation range. But yeah. if he does get drafted in science, or maybe if he goes to Stanford and after three years yeah. he comes out higher, I think he has a chance to have a good career.
2: It wouldn't at all be surprising if if he doesn't get drafted. I mean, look at what Kevin Prada did. I feel like when Kevin Prada was coming out of high school, we had him in a similar range to Malcolm now. They were viewed as, as similar hitters at the time. I think they're different athletes. Um, but if he does get to campus at Stanford, I mean, Kevin Prada has, has shown the path that you take to uh, to boost your draft stock by proving that legit hit tool in college. So, um, yeah, I, I really like that bet as well, Kyle. I think that's a good one.
1: All right, Carlos, we're going to finish up with uh, our favorite thing we do this podcast every year. We're going to do a quick mock draft and uh, full disclaimer. Is
2: this a mock draft or a staff no, draft, th- this Kyle? Is, this,
1: is, this is just me and Carlos having fun. This is not okay. any of the uh, inside intel. This is not any of the uh you know so the we're picking based Ky- on who
2: we would take yeah why not right, that's what we've done go. the last
1: couple of years and uh you somehow you ended up with the number one overall pick each of the last two years i'm taking number one <laughs> all right
2: all right let's uh, that's fine because it. uh, it'll make uh, it, it's boring the number one pick is boring i'm assuming uh i'm assuming it's going to be maybe it won't but yeah let's let's jump into it
1: all right let's have fun for the baltimore orioles number one overall pick kyle glazer takes drew jones Give me Drew the best Jones. player. you know, don't don't play slot games. Don't get fancy. Don't mess yeah. around. It's them. hard.
2: For, it's hard for us to play slot games in this scenario. Yeah, it's but not money. <laughs> but uh,
1: at the end of the at the end of the day, just take the best player. He's he's the best player. Drew Jones, yep. number one, to the Baltimore Orioles. Carlos, you're on the clock with the Diamondbacks at number
2: two. All right, for the Diamondbacks, I'm gonna go uh, maybe off the board based on our board, but I- I've just been in love with Tamar Johnson's swing ever since I saw him. I think he's a special special hitter. Uh, certainly the best high school hitter that I've ever seen. I think he fits in with what the Diamondbacks have done just in terms of really polished hitters that they've taken high in the draft. But uh, I'm going to go with the best high school hitter that I've seen with Tamar Johnson at number two for the Diamondbacks.
1: Third overall pick, Texas Rangers. I'll take Jackson Holiday. Uh, again, just a guy who continues to get better and better, has a real chance to stay at shortstop. and And look, there's a lot of people who think with the adjustments he's made, his swings gotten a lot more connected, gotten a lot better. He's added strength. I mean, there's a chance for him to be a plus Mm -hmm. hit above average plus runner who also sticks at shortstop. Um, That has a chance to be a hell of a player. He's trending in the right direction. Give me those bloodlines, baby. I'll take the sons of all stars all day with (laughs) Drew Jones and Jackson holiday holiday to the Rangers at three is my pick.
2: All right, you made this a little tougher for me here because I think if you didn't take Holiday and I was wondering if you'd take Brooks Lee that I would have taken Holiday at four. And so I'm deciding between Elijah Green, Kevin Parada and Brooks Lee. Uh, this might be crazy, but I- I'm taking Kevin Parada. I- he's just been a guy who I've been super high on personally for a long time. I feel like that that's common knowledge. I saw him when he was a junior in high school and he was hitting. I saw him over the showcase circuit uh, as a rising senior and he was doing nothing but hitting uh, his spring season, he just hit. I just think I buy into the bat. I have more confidence in his bat uh, than anyone on the board at this point. I know Brooks Lee uh, gets a lot of great feedback, and, and I'm not scared of Brooks Lee's bat, but I just think with what Kevin Prada has done uh, in the ACC, a better conference, hitting for power, um, and I think he's got a chance to catch. I know the Pirates just took Henry Davis 1-1, but uh, I don't much care. I'll, I'll take Kevin Prada, and if I have two great catching prospects that, that have offensive ability, Um, That's a good problem to have. So I'm taking Kevin Prada.
1: All right. Number five overall to the Nationals. I'll go ahead and take Brooks Lee. Again, the best pure hitter in the college class. The swing from the left side is everything you could ever want it to be. There's zero doubt in my mind. He'll hit for very high average. Again, if you love him, he's a 70 hitter who hits 300. You don't like him. He's a 60 hitter who hits 280. He's gotten stronger. There should be 15 to 20 home runs in there, maybe even more. And the thing with him positionally, um, he's not going to say it's shortstop. Just in my looks, um, it's much more second base to me. There are other evaluators who think he's a guy who can play third base. Um, Just what it looks like in the major leagues, it's much more of a second base look to me. But either way, if you have a guy who can hit 280 with 20 bombs a year and stick on the infield, that's a really good player and someone you can stick in the top half of your lineup if you're a contending team. And I think that's what Brooks Lee is. And uh, that's my pick for the Nationals at number five.
2: All right, so this is probably the easiest pick that I'm going to have the rest of the way. I feel like there's a clear best player available here, and that's Elijah Green. Um, He's maybe one of the better in-game power hitters I've seen at the high school level, just gets to it so easily. Yeah, there's a little bit of swing and miss, but I think with the amount of impact he's going to give you, with the speed that he has, with a chance to be a good defensive outfielder, I think he could start his career in center field, um, depending on how he, he kind of develops physically. Maybe he ends up being a really good defender in a corner outfield spot. Um, I think he's going to be a guy who, who's more than capable of hitting in the middle of a lineup. Um, so yeah, I'll take Elijah Green and, and be very happy with that upside here at pick six for the Marlins.
1: All right. And I'll go ahead and take the guy who's, you know, pretty much the clear cut number seven here. Um, that's Jacob Berry out of Louisiana state, Arizona transfer as a sun devil. It kills me to take someone with us uh, some in Arizona <laughs> pedigree there. but um, It's a guy who's always hit again, broken finger and batting practice. It shouldn't be uh, the type of injury that sidetracks his career in any way. Again, just take the best player on the board here. I know there's position questions, whether he sticks at third, ends up at first, but uh, he projects to be an impact hitter and for the Cubs, especially a rebuilding Cubs team, taking an impact hitter, you can never have too many of those. So for the Cubs at number seven, I'm taking Jacob Berry out of LSU. Nice. All
2: right. There's a player that I want to take here, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring some gamesmanship into this and and guess that you're not as high on this player as I am. So I'm going to let him fall a little bit, try to get him later when I do take him. If I take him, I'll let you know who it is. But right now, Oh, just knowing how you pick Kyle, it, it's really impacting my decision. So I'm going to go with Jace Young, Texas tech, second baseman, the son of Josh Young, who the Rangers took in the first round a few years ago. Some people don't like the swing and the athleticism, but if you look at his numbers, it's really hard for me to argue with everything he's done. He hits for average. He gets on base a ton. He never expands his zone, He hits for power. Um, if he has to move to first base, I think you still have enough hit OBP and power to to profile well there, but I just have, uh, a lot of confidence that he 's going to add some value as a really good hitter um, and offensively, it looks weird, but I think he gets on time. he hits good stuff he has his good pitch recognition um, and the numbers are just insane. I feel like he's a guy that maybe gets uh, a little bit slept on based on what he 's done um, in college so i 'll take jace Young here at pick number what is this pick number eight for the twins.
1: I've got a lot of Brandon Lau comps on him and, and mm. Brandon Lau has certainly had some, some highlights and some low lights, but on balance over the course of his career, it's it's been a good player on a first division team.
2: Yep. So you're up for the Royals at nine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You went ahead and took, uh, took young at eight to the twins. And this is where I think it starts to get kind of interesting. Um, yeah. You know, again, I, I think right now you just go with, you start you start getting into the range of, I still think you take the guy who's who's best available inside the top 10 and a guy you feel really good about hitting. And that's Gavin Cross out of Virginia Tech. Again, I mean, it's good swings, big, fast. There there are a lot of people out there who think he goes above Jace Young just in terms of pure talent in this draft, mm-hmm. um, just the strength of of the overall offensive game. And again, top 10 pick, get an everyday position player up high. He's a guy who pretty universally seen it he's gonna hit all it's all there um you know there's been a lot of guys who everyone thought was gonna hit and didn't hit but based on the information we have today just what he can do um at the end of the day take the Mm -hmm. bat and for me that's gavin cross here at number nine to the royals
2: yeah really impressive power good arm as well um so this has played out well for me uh i i think i'm gonna go with uh so for the rockies at number 10 i'm gonna go with cam collier um, I figured I could slip him one spot. There's still another player who I was thinking about originally. So this isn't the guy. Um, and Kyle, you, you knowing how the, the profiles that I like, you might know uh, who this player is. But Cam Collier, I just feel like pure hitting ability. What he did as, as a 17-year-old at one of the better JUCOs in the country at Chipola just proved that hitting ability. We'll get a chance to see him in the Cape. But uh, he's got a good arm at third base. I think depending on how the body develops, there's a chance to stick at third and be a fine defender there. Um, but just fantastic uses of the opposite field, very natural hitter and power is going to come. So of the players that we have on the board still, I have the most confidence in, in Cam Collier's bat. Um, probably a little bit more than, than any of the other options. So I'll take him. Um, and again, just doing what he did in Juco at such a young age, I feel like should be a really great sign. I thought
1: about him to the Royals at number nine. I
2: really did. Um, okay. Yeah, it's 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 all
1: in there. All right. Mets at number eleven. I will take Kamar Not kidding. Um,
2: <laughs> if this happened, oh, if this happened, it would be fantastic.
1: Yeah. No, I'm actually going to do something that might surprise you, Losa. I'm not sure. Oh, no! If well. Oh no! I'm getting scared. <laughs> yeah. Number eleven overall pick. I'll take Dylan Lesko for the Mets.
2: Oh! Um, yeah. <laughs> no, Kyle. This was my. This was the player. I'm stunned that you took him. I'm stunned. I shouldn't have tipped my hand at all.
1: No, it wasn't actually a matter of that. You know, seeing him at, at PGL America last year, um, it was really, really something. It, very, very rare to see a high school right-hander with that stuff, with that polish, with that feel, with that depth of pitch mix. Um, uh, talk to man. him, it's all there mentally. And, and look, high school right handers is a scary demographic. You know, having TJ, we, we talk about it as, oh, it's not a big deal. Everyone comes back from it. Actually, no, we just remember the guys who come back and forget about the guys who don't. About 15, 16% of the guys never make it back to the previous level they pitched at. And the median innings pitched after coming back from surgery is somewhere around the 100s for their entire career. So it's, it's never a given. But at the end of the day, um, there are enough guys who have made it back. And this is just a pitcher who's so supremely talented that I think if you have an opportunity and, and looking at who else is on the board, just the way this class has shaken out, I think this is where you take a shot on Dylan Lesko here at number 11 to the Mets.
2: See, This is why you don't, you don't play games in the draft. You just take players that you like, Kyle, I'm stunned that you took Dylan here, but I love the pick. I think everything you said is spot on. I think his upside is tremendous. He's clearly the best pitching talent in the class for me, just the combination of power and command Uh, The change up, I think the the breaking ball has so much potential. People criticize the breaking ball, but for me, I think it's more of that kind of nitpicking the the top guy who really does everything well. Um, I I love that pick. I'm I'm really disappointed in myself for not just taking him at at pick number eight, but we have to move on. Uh, Number 12 for the Tigers. There are a few players that I'm thinking about here, all of whom come from the high school demographic because I'm just a sucker for that demographic. I think I'm going to not make this mistake twice. I'm going to take the player that I really like. I really believe in I'm taking jet Williams. Uh, I just believe in the swing so much. I like the short levers. I like the the pop. His hands remind me of Alec Thomas at the same age, a smaller guy who I thought was just really strong at the time um, who, who just had a lot more pop than maybe you would think. I think he's stronger than Alec was at the time chance to play the infield. I really just love the bat and I think he's going to be a good hitter. So I'll take jet Williams number 12 here for the tigers.
1: Angels at number 13. This is where I seriously am taking Kamar Rocker. Again, this is an organization that we saw take 20 pitchers with 20 draft picks last year. And there was a lot of sense that maybe they should have taken Kamar Rocker at nine, although obviously with the way everything kind of played out there, hindsight's twenty twenty, And in retrospect, probably might have been a good thing they didn't. But, um, you know, Rocker's back on the mound, the stuff he's showing, the physicality. Again, you and I do not have access to the medical records. And even if we did, we are not qualified to read them. So um, that mm-hmm. makes it tough. But just in terms of pure talent, I, I think it's a perfect fit for the Angels. Again, another arm mm-hmm. in the system that, that's you know premium stuff, track record of success, um, potential to move fast. We saw the yeah. Reed Detmers in 2020, you know, Sam Bachman in 2021, although Kai Bush looks like the better of the two pitchers they took in the top two rounds. And I'm a big believer in Kai Bush. Um, you add rocker there, you know, all of a sudden you start having a, a good group of arms you can work with moving forward. And I just think again, with, with what he's done, what he's shown um, this is, this is the pick for the angels at number 13 for me.
2: Nice. Yeah. I love that, that pairing of player and organization. So Kyle, are you going to pick 14 for the Mets again, or do I just go, I think you should no, probably go, take that. No, go for it. <laughs> it's all you. All right. Well, it might mess up your strategy for, for pick 11, but so 14 for the Mets Ooh, there are a couple bats that I really still like um, I think I'm going to take Pennsylvania shortstop Cole Young um, like just like I was saying earlier I don't know how much more I need to speak on him but just overall game I really love just feel like he has a very advanced approach at the plate I think he's going to hit if he gets a little bit stronger um, and the tools jump and the upside jumps a little bit that'd be fantastic if it doesn't I still like the player uh, who he is today um, so yeah I'll take Cole Young at 14 for the Mets
1: 15th overall to the Padres, I'll take Justin Crawford out of Bishop Gorman High School. Uh, just another guy who we've talked about ad nauseum. but the Padres have, have done decently well with this demographic. This skinny high school hitter, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, the guys who just have really good hand-eye, have really good bat-to-ball skills, maybe some power questions, but at the end of the day, um, those guys have developed nicely and they're good players who project to play impact roles for the Padres moving forward. Mm-hmm. Again, I guess I've taken all the Sons of All-Stars. I took Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, and, and Justin Crawford here. Again, good player who who I think has a chance to add strength and and be, and I don't want to say a five tool player. I think people throw that around way too frequently because true five tool players are very, very rare in major league baseball. Mm-hmm. But if he evens just fifteen homers, thirty stolen bases and hitting two eighty, that's a really good player. Oh, and playing center field, that's a really good player. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way he can be, and that's why he's my pick to the Padres at number fifteen
2: love it all right uh number 16 to the guardians i'm going to take five tool player zach Neto. <laughs> i'm just <laughs> no i'm i'm kidding about the five tool but I, I do like zach Neto a lot his production in college has been fantastic he hit in the cape cod league as well uh i think he's a really good shortstop who has a chance to stick there with a plus arm they're a little the swing is a, a bit unorthodox i guess you could say it's a big leg kick with a lot of a lot more movement but he's a consistent hitter. He, he just constantly does it. He's performed against velocity. He doesn't have the, the biggest sample of performing against velocity. Um, so I just, I just like the bat shortstop combo as a college hitter uh, with production in the Cape and with production uh, over three years with Campbell. So Neto is my guy and um, he has a fallback as, as a pitcher maybe as well. Uh, pretty good arm on the mound, but I, I like everything he does as a position player. Um, so he's my pick at 16 for the guardians. I was sure you were going Brock Porter there. Hmm. I really thought that was going to be your pick, especially maybe, to the maybe I'm, maybe I'm trying to see how far he can slide again. Maybe I'm getting a little <laughs> a little crazy.
1: This is where it gets interesting. So we've talked about there's you know clear-cut top seven, the middle grouping, there's some guys where there's some consensus. But once you start getting here, 17, 18, 19, that's where you start getting very, very disparate views of who these players are, their ability levels, their upside, really a, a lack of consensus across the board. And as I kind of look at it, it yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, you
2: you know, could, still, if, if you go with Porter here, you could make it three straight years of a first-round high school right-hander for that organization, Kyle. Think about and that was that.
1: exactly what I was thinking. You have Mick Abel, you have Andrew Painter, and and it does stand out. You know, Porter has gotten consistently good reviews. We've talked about some of the other high school pitchers in this class. You know, Dylan Lesko getting hurt, and a lot of the other guys who are considered the top high school arms. You know, Robbie Snelling, Brandon Barrera, the two lefties, a couple of the guys you mentioned earlier. We've people like that's it. been, hey, you know, move them down. They're more 20s to 40s, or in some cases, maybe even a little lower. Porter's the one guy where it's been, you know what, keep him there. He's certainly impressed a lot of people, done a lot of good things. At the end of the day, if you believe he's the best talent at the spot at number 17, you take him. And the Phillies kind of had something similar happen last year with Andrew Painter. A lot of people thought he should have gone on talent a lot higher than where he went. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but the early returns on Andrew Painter have been very, very, very promising. So let's take the shot again. 17 to the Phillies, Brock Porter. Wow.
2: Who would have ever thought that um, 17 picks into this draft, Kyle, you would have multiple high school right-handed pitchers on your I teams. don't hate high school right-handers.
1: <laughs> it's high school, domestic U.S. high school catchers yes, are who yes, I'm very skeptical Yes, but I
2: love high school right-handers. So I think just the, the pairing of me and you picking, I would not have taken – I definitely would have assumed that I would have gotten both Lesko and Porter, but clearly I made an early strategic error. All right, 18 for the Reds uh it's all bats for me at this spot the pitchers on the board uh i have enough questions that i don't really want to consider them um <sighs> so chase the is intriguing for a lot of reasons but there are some there are some questions i have i probably got the worst look of him this season against florida state when he really didn't look great uh so i think i'm going to go drew gilbert here outfitter with tennessee we talked about him love the all-around tool set Again, smaller guy, short levers. Maybe that means he's a better hitter than some of the other guys on the board with longer levers, but doing it in the SEC more seriously is is really what gives me a little bit of confidence here. I like the tool set. I like the up-the-middle profile. Um, just don't get kicked out of any more games, Drew, um, and this one should be pretty good for me. So Drew Gilbert to the Reds at 18. The A's at
1: 19. Uh, I'll take Gabriel Hughes, the right-hander out of Gonzaga, a guy that – Again, did not have a great start in regionals, but had a really good year. Uh, The Gonzaga rotation was very, very impressive this year. They were one of the more interesting clubs on the West Coast. And there's not a lot there where you say, oh my gosh, this guy has front of the rotation upside or anything, but he's a good pitcher. He's got size. He's got stuff. And again, when you start lining him up against who were some of the other guys we're looking at at this range, I mean it looks pretty good at his best. He has shown the ability to get up to 96, 97 with a wipeout slider. Now there's been other times he's been in the low nineties. The slider has been not anywhere near that. So there's a little bit of inconsistency there. there. There's certainly some questions. This is not a slam dunk, but even if it's an average fastball, he he commands the ball really well. Even if it's an average fastball and the slider is more above average than plus, he has the command to make it work, has the feel to make it work, has the size. He's durable. Um, I'll go Gabriel Hughes here at number 19 to the Oakland A's.
2: All right. I think at this point, I'm probably just going to go best player available on the board. I don't have an obvious player who I really like at this spot. I'm tempted to take a pitcher here just because the Braves have done such a good job developing uh, pitchers. Um, but none, I don't, I don't see a ton of separation from the guys I have on the board. So I, I want to maybe see if you'll take some of those guys and make that decision easier for me, Kyle, but I'll take Daniel Susack at Arizona. Uh, I think there's a chance he goes much higher than this chance. He falls to this range. He's a little bit more polarizing, but he's produced for two years. Um, in that conference, he has some power. I think he's going to stick behind the plate. He's got a a big arm, Uh, a little bit of questions with me on the swing and miss and and just the overall swing. How is that going to play at the next level? I think that's why I was a little bit more hesitant to take him earlier compared to some hitters who I really was high on. Um, but I think at this point, it's hard to get college catchers who have production and you feel confident they're going to stick at the position. So I feel like this is a value pick for me at number 20 for the Braves, Daniel Susek, I just couldn't take a wildcat. Couldn't do it. In my blood <laughs> as a sun devil. Couldn't do it.
1: Uh, number 21 overall to the Mariners. I'm going to go Robbie Snelling, the left-hander out of Reno, Nevada. He did not play very good competition this year, so he put up video game numbers. You take those with a little bit of a grain of salt. But, again, you start looking at this range and, and you just see a left-hander with – three pitches. He's got stuff. There's just a lot to work with here. He really, really shot up this past year. You know, he was not a nobody. He was at a PG All-America last year. He was certainly a guy that was on the radar, but you just look at how big of a jump he took this year. And that's the trend you want to see uh, as a quarterback for a football team that made it to uh, the 5A state championship, but uh, it's the largest division in Nevada played Bishop Gorman. I mean, two sport athlete got leadership, got makeup, got stuff, big left-handed, like there's not too many things when you start talking about this range where it's like, Oh, I don't know about this or that. The other thing he starts checking a lot of boxes when you start comparing him to a lot of the other guys in this range. And it's a high school pitcher who didn't play very good competition. That's always a risk. But at the end of the day at this spot, I'll take him to the Mariners at 21.
2: I like it. Uh, So this spot, so it's Cardinals at 22 for me next. I think the Cardinals have done a really good job developing hitters in recent years. So How about them with a guy like Chase DeLauder, who's maybe uh, one of the more exciting, toolsy, physical college hitters in the class? Um, Plays at a small conference, but like you were saying with Snelling, his numbers are pretty close to video game-esque in that conference. Um, Good bats ball skills, good zone control skills. Uh, I think there are some questions about the swing. How is it going to play against better velocity and better stuff? He doesn't have a ton of track record um, against that kind of stuff, although his Cape performance was very loud. Um, maybe we'll play center field to start his career, but he's a big guy, uh, who runs really well for his size. Maybe as he continues to, um, to age, he'll slow down a little bit, move to a corner, but with this tool set and with his like underlying, um, skills as a hitter, I'm really curious what the Cardinals would be able to do with him. And I feel much better taking him at this spot at 22 to the Cardinals. I feel like he has a chance to go higher in the actual draft, but chase the ladder at 22 is the pick for me.
1: Yeah, I think in the actual draft, very, very little chance he falls out of the teens. And if somehow he does get to the Cardinals, you'll know Cardinals double magic will take place and he'll become exactly. a, a That's perennial all-star. Now, they do a great <laughs> job with college hitters in particular. And if that were to happen, I don't think there's any yeah. doubt that he would develop very well there. Pro- probably he would develop better there than other organizations who actually <laughs> even, picking even some teams.
2: guys like Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker, just what they've been able to do so early on with, with their hitting ability has been impressive to see. So a lot of confidence in their player development, people.
1: All right, number 23 overall to the Blue Jays. And this is where I feel like it does start to get dice. You start looking at a bunch of guys and it's like, yes this, but this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll go ahead and go Jacob Melton, head Oregon State. Um, and I, I typically don't love taking guys where the question is the swing, but he's produced, it works for him. He's a good athlete, he's big, he's physical comes from a good program with a really good track record of those guys developing into major leaguers and not just major leaguers but good major leaguers again when you're talking about everyone else in this range I'll take that every day even though I generally try to stay away from guys where the swing is the question but at this point Jacob Melton would be the pick for uh, for the Blue Jays at number 23 for me
2: nice yeah it's, it's getting a little wide open um the Red Sox picking at 24. I think we're going to go a little bit off the board as it stands today, but again, this was a guy I mentioned as a potential riser, and I think he's, he's slowly pushing himself closer and closer to the first round. I'm going to go with Peyton Graham. Um, I just like the athleticism. I like the body. I think if he gets into the weight room and gets some food uh, in him, maybe we can get him a little bit bigger. I am a little skeptical of what the body's going to look like because he's just been so lean um for so many years in college is he a Braden shoemaker type where putting on weight is really going to be a question um maybe so and maybe that'll impact his power potential with wood at the next level but uh, the production is, is crazy um and i just think that kind of a hitter with with that kind of upside um as a shortstop or third baseman Uh, Wherever he plays, I think he'll wind up being a good defender. I like Peyton Graham a lot. I'm I'm excited about what he looks like 10 years from now. So I'll take him uh, with the Boston Red Sox at pick 24. Yankees at 25. This is where picking starts to get tough. This
1: is where (laughs) it really starts to get tough. You know, I'll go ahead and take Justin Campbell out of Oklahoma State. Just a, a good pitcher again. He's, he's, there, it's interesting. There is not a ton of track record of right handers six, eight and above succeeding. He's just under that at six, mm-hmm. seven, which, you know, there are some examples of that Jared Weaver being an example, not saying he's Jared Weaver, but it can work. And again, I just think when you start looking at, as, as we talked about with him earlier in the draft, as you laid out, Carlos um, just does a lot of things really well. Big, Throws strikes has stuff performed again. You start checking off some boxes and he starts looking really good at this point. So Justin Campbell, number 25 to the Yankees is my pick.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. I've been eyeing this player for a number of picks. I think I kind of just want to take him off the board here with you going pitchers and two of your last three picks. I think I'd be a little worried that you, you scoop him up if I let him fall too much further. And that's Landon Sims, uh, the right-hander out of Mississippi state. I think if Landon Sims was healthy, we would be talking about him as a potential top fifteen pick. He was exceptional early on before he got injured, um, Tommy John surgery for him, and he doesn't have a long track record of starting in college. He was the dominant reliever um, his first two years, uh, and and showed like showed pretty good stuff and strikes in a strike throwing role. I think even going back to high school, he was a guy who had some reliever questions, but I personally am really high on his, his strikes and his command. Uh, control. I think it's maybe two seventies in his fastball and his breaking ball. Um, I really would would have liked to see his changeup more to get more confidence in that pitch. Um, but the analytics of his stuff are pretty exceptional when he's healthy. I think there's a ton of upside here if he can stay a starter. And if he can't be a starter, I think his stuff plays extremely well as a uh, back of the bullpen type. Um, I would say he's a fast mover, but the injury means that's not necessarily the case, Uh, but just love the power stuff here. And I feel like if he was healthy, you don't have a, a chance to get this guy at pick 26. So I'll take Landon Sims and hope the recovery goes smoothly.
1: Number 27 to the Brewers. I'll go with Brandon Barrera, the high school lefty uh, out of Florida. Um, the Brewers pitching development is as good as any in Major League Baseball. Now, a lot of their pitcher successes have been college guys, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, trade acquisition. They've completely revamped. He was a college guy. Aaron Ashby, junior college. So uh, they haven't done it a lot with high school pitchers. Um, but again, just seeing the work they've done with Lauer and Ashby, especially two lefties, that the Brewers it's not a huge secret know what they're doing when it comes to pitcher development. And at this point in the draft, I'll go ahead and take Brandon Barrera for them. I think it's a good match of uh, organization and player.
2: Yeah. Good pick Kyle. I like that one. Uh, Barrera was near the top of my list. I think he is the, maybe the best player available on the BA board at that pick. So I like that one. Uh, hmm. You're right. It does get a little dicey here. So picking 28 for the Astros, their first first round pick in a few years after their, uh, penalties for their sign stealing scandal are up. Uh, will be interesting to see what they do in the spot in the real draft. Uh, but I'll stop stalling now, I think, and take Cooper Jerpy, the left-handed pitcher out of Oregon State. Just fantastic numbers this season. Really unique attack angle. The fastball doesn't wow you if you're just looking at the radar gun readings, but it plays much better than that. The the feedback on his secondary stuff this year has improved. Um, he's a guy who's touched 97 at the past, I think last fall he got up to 97. So if if he can add a little bit more velocity um, while kind of retaining those outlier release uh, and and approach angle characteristics on on his stuff, um, that's an exciting combination. And I'm sure a team like the Astros is really excited about the pitch data on Cooper Jerpy. And in a year where we been we've been talking junk about the college pitching, really the whole podcast he's been one of the best pitchers in college baseball so while it's an unusual pick and maybe not a traditional first round talent um i'd be willing to see what the astros could do with a guy like cooper jerpy
1: 29th overall to the rays you're gonna laugh if you didn't take jerpy there that would have been the pick for the rays Another nice analytics driven uh, organization that definitely loves funky deliveries and uh, pitch <laughs> data so that would have been a good mix there too ah <sighs> I think that
2: what's interesting too with Jerpy is he throws enough strikes to be a starter, but if you wanted to put him in a bullpen, I feel like with how teams are mixing and matching unique attack angles and slots in their pen, he would be a a really good addition to a bullpen as well.
1: You know, the Rays at 29, if I believed in Dylan Beaver's swing more, that'd be the pick here. I get it. The tools are great. He shows you flashes. just – I'm just very wary of guys that are swing overhauls like like he's mm-hmm. gonna be. Um, gosh, yeah, I you know what? Go ahead and give me Sterling Thompson out oh. out of Florida again. He can hit that. If the hits the question, I hesitate to invest a first round pick in that. And he's hit. He's young. He's done it. Um, he's definitely a guy people like a lot. I'll go ahead and take Sterling Thompson out of Florida to the Rays at number twenty nine.
2: Oof! you picked my pocket on that one i was eyeing sterling for the uh, final pick of this mock draft so sterling thompson the rays so giants up next another bat that i'm really in, excited by and has been a big riser is dalton rushing um and i've also heard really good things about his catching lately as well so I think I might pass up some of these toolsy players who are on the board. A Henry Bolte was exciting here. Some of these college outfitters that we touched on who have tools, but hit questions were exciting like a Jordan Beck a Brock Jones, Dylan Beavers, you mentioned um, the, the arms here. I could get excited about arms like Andrew Dukanich or Jackson Ferris or Jacob Miller. Um, but I think I'm going to go with Dalton rushing. Uh, he's been trending up. If you think he can catch his exit velocity data is really impressive uh he's been a good hitter there are some struggles against top end velo which is a bit concerning but college catcher uh with the production that he has this year um i think i'll take dalton rushing and try and get some pitching later on in the draft so that's my pick to round us out here um and i'll go through and see how many hitters we have but what are your thoughts on how how this panned out for us kyle
1: yeah no i i certainly come out of this uh liking the players I, I ended up with in this, uh, fictional world. No, I mean, I think anytime, you know, adding top tier talent, like a Drew Jones, like a Jackson holiday, like a Brooks Lee, like a Jacob Berry. you're seeing a theme here. I like guys who can hit and there's no question they're going to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gavin cross. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is, this is a good group. I definitely come out of this liking my picks. What about you, Carlos?
2: Um, well, I think I like them. I guess ask me in five years and I'll tell you if, if they're a good picture or not. But no, I, 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 was, I was surprised that you took as many of the, uh, not as many, you took some high upside, high risk high school pitchers who I wanted to fall to me. Um, again, got a little too, little too greedy there and should have just taken Dylan Lesko higher. But we had nine pitchers selected in the first round. Um, there were 22 hitters in the draft a few years ago. Uh, so we're one over that to, to tie that Mark as the, the most hitters drafted among the first 30 picks. This mock draft did set a record for the longest uh, or the the greatest number of picks before a pitcher came off the board with Dylan Lesko at 11. Um, and I think we have a real shot to go uh, to find our first top 10 this year with no pitchers, which would be a record. So um, definitely as hitter heavy as I was expecting a few exciting and fun picks and, um, and yeah, let us know if you guys thought any of these picks were, were crazy or if you liked them. Um, but yeah, we need to check our, our previous mock drafts and see uh, how we fared after after a few years. I feel like we, we might have a sense for how our first one went at this point. Absolutely.
1: And again, just full disclaimer, this is just me and Carlos having fun. This one was not the, the official BA mock draft uh, with inside information about who teams are targeting or anything like that. It's just me and Carlos having fun and uh, wrapping up this podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed it all too. Carlos, I always enjoy doing this podcast with you every year. You're our lead draft guy. I just help out on the West Coast and, and try and get some feedback, but you drive the show here. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap this up?
2: No, this was fun, Kyle. I always enjoy doing it as well. It's always fun doing the live mock with you, really put us on our toes as we get near the end of the board and find out who we want. But, no, it's it's going to be a fun draft as always. Um, no, thanks for listening to everyone. That's, that's really all I have to, to close with. We appreciate it. If only we had someone we could fight over, Spencer Torkelson, Austin Martin style. That was a great radio. No, it's a, <laughs> a great
1: podcast, I should say.
2: Oh, I uh, thought but, it would be Lesko, but you know, you, you grabbed them, you loved them, so. Yeah, no,
1: got a good look and uh, it's hard to, hard to scrub that from your memory. All right, everyone, that'll do it for this edition of the BA Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Carlos Colazo, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.